Hello, Air Warriors, and welcome to another episode of Chevron's, a podcast for the Enlisted Force. I'm Chief Master Sergeant Sean Sullivan. And I'm Airman Francesca Scredulis. We are joined by Chief Master Sergeant Joseph Caulfield, the Command Chief of the 105th Airlift Wing in New York. And we are also joined with Staff Sergeant Kyle Courier, a member of the 102nd Intelligence Wing. And I want to start off with you, uh, Staff Sergeant Courier. Tell us a little bit about yourself. What's your military story, your current position, and what are you doing in the wing? Thank you, Chief. So I uh, am a digital network intelligence analyst with the 203rd Intelligence Squadron here on uh, the 102IW. So I'm a local man. I grew up right outside of Joint Base Cape Cod uh, in the town of Sandwich. The, um, I didn't travel very far to enlist, as you can imagine. Um, I've been there all my life. Four years ago, uh, when I was 23, you know, I decided I was kind of tired of working dead-end jobs. I wanted to develop myself professionally. I wanted to develop soft skills as well as, you know, more uh, a degree. Didn't want to have to pay myself through a bachelor's degree. I already had my associates. So that led me here, and I haven't regretted it for a day. That's outstanding. So uh, I am also a Sandwich High School alum and, uh, and grew up in, uh, in Sandwich. So oh, wow. Welcome. You are a very valuable part of this unit, and uh, you guys are doing some really, really amazing things over there uh, in that that uh, that operation and in your group over there. Uh, I I hear about things we can't discuss them, <laughs> uh, but it, it's really uh, outstanding work you guys are doing, and I appreciate you taking time out to do our episode here. Thank you, sir. It's an honor to be here. I also joined the Guard. I wanted to get a, a little bit of education benefits, and I'm finally starting to take advantage of that, and that's exciting. Um, but then, uh, Chief, um, what is your military story? How'd you get here? Oh, well, good morning, everybody, and it's good to be here. And before we get going, I just want to say this is a huge privilege to be here, and I, uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity to share my story, that you're interested in my perspective and, and my life experience. Um, so what's my story? So September 1st, 1983, um, I raised my right hand and uh, joined the United States Air Force. I did exactly what I told my second grade teacher that I would do. I wanted to be in the military and I wanted to join the Air Force. More than likely, uh, I was following in my father's footsteps, who was a Korean War vet, um, uh, Air Force and right after basic training, I landed in a what they called a, a SAC base. It, it's I don't know if you ever heard of SAC, but a stri- uh, Strategic Air Command um, in central New York. But I was assigned to a TAC unit, Tactical Air Command, uh, and I worked on uh, F-106s as a jet engine mechanic. And it was a it was a great time period to be in active duty. It was the height of the Cold War, and uh, I'll tell you. As a young 18-year-old kid, I never took any more pride than my little tiny piece of uh, being a jet engine mechanic, keeping those F-106s in the air to deter and meet any threat against this nation that would test our nation's resolve. Predominantly at that time, it looked like uh, Russia was was our uh, predominant threat. And coming over to North Pole, they would test our resolve and our reaction times and stuff like that. And it was a a very uh, good time in my life, my military career, to have that foundation to be in during that that time. And then four years, I, I was active duty four years. And then uh, got married, had a, a baby, my, my daughter, and uh, my wife and I, we actually took a little bit of a chance. And uh, so we separated from service, and uh, we followed some passions of ours, and uh, we wanted to get into uh, ministry, full-time ministry with our church, and slash 
possibly even missionary work. And that path, uh, I, I would say it, it's still a passion, but it was brief and it wasn't unfolding the way we thought. So flexibility, as they say, is the key to air power. So we quickly pivoted, and that's how I ended up in law enforcement. And one thing you probably wouldn't know of me, you know, from the introductions prior to this podcast, um, I have a very robust, uh, like your chief here, Chief Sullivan, um, law enforcement uh, background as well. And I'm still technically on the books as a police officer in the city of Charlotte. But, you know, after a couple of years, there, there was that itch. Because I always took a tremendous amount of pride in this uniform and in the, the flag that, that we have, that we wear on our shoulder. And uh, I was introduced to the guard by uh, my wife's cousin. I said, hey, you live literally right down the road from this big C5 base. Go check it out. And, and I did. And I think it just took one time. Next thing you know, I'm raising my hand again. And I uh, joined the Guard in 1994, once again, as a maintainer. But something was different this time around. There was opportunities that I wasn't aware of uh, in active duty. We had enlisted members on base that were aviators, and that intrigued me. So I started looking into it. Found out you had flight engineers, loadmasters, and there was a flying crew chief uh, program. And so I landed in the loadmasters in, in operations, and I was a C-5 loadmaster from took my first flight somewhere around January 96, flew C5s to 2011. I became an evaluator loadmaster. That's the highest level of proficiency you can get as an air crew member. Um, and then we uh, transitioned in 2011 to the C17. And it's like, holy cow, here I am back again uh, at the bottom of the rung. So, uh, you know, and having to learn a new airframe and be good at it, you know, and, and that was always... If I'm going to do something, I want to be excellent, you know. And it's kind of like, it, you know, we recite our core values, but uh, we got to live them too, you know. And I, so roll your sleeves back up. I worked myself back up to uh, an evaluator loadmaster on a C-17. And, uh, you know, and then uh, an opportunity opened up for me to become the 9G group superintendent in operations. And I'll tell you, that was a changing point for me. When, when I got in that job because I was able to step back for the first time in my career, take a step back, a deliberate step back from my AFSC and focus more on people. And I found when I stepped into that role, it reinvigorated me because if I could say anything about myself, I love people and I love to serve people. Um, and I think that's the best type of leadership there is out there. And uh, shortly after that, you know, not too long after that, uh, the command chief position opened up at, at the air wing, and uh, I put in for it. And uh, there was some, it was very competitive, great, well-qualified candidates, but I got selected and stepped into the role. And for the first time in my life, in, in my military career, I was able to um, solely focus on the health, the morale, the welfare, and, of course, training of people, of the men and women of the 105th Airlift Wing. And I, I tell you, uh, I, it's such a huge honor to serve in this capacity. And uh, sometimes I have to pinch myself and say, yes, I, I am actually doing this job. And uh, I, I'm just so grateful for the opportunity. And in a nutshell, that three to five minutes brings me to Otis Air Force Base here today. Thank you, Chief. Thank you for sharing that uh Obviously, nobody gets to either of your levels without having mentors and role models. 
And there's a different perspective on a mentor and a role model as you develop through your military career. So how somebody uh, just starting off in the military career, you know, what they feel a mentor and a role model is, is different as somebody advances to become a command chief. So I'd like to start with you, Staff Sergeant Courier. Who were your mentors and your role models? And how are you now evolving into a mentor for others? So thankfully in my squadron, the 203rd, uh, we have, I have great supervisors and I have since I enlisted to right now, um, Technical Sergeant Granberry, Master Sergeant McKean, um, back then Master Sergeant Meade, now Lieutenant Meade, all great supervisors that I've had. And I would consider each one of them mentors. They uh, truly, you know, we all have mission requirements to meet. We all have basic training to meet. However, beyond that, they're all invested in developing me professionally helping me achieve what I want to achieve in addition to what, you know, is needed of me in my job. And to me, that's what I want to pass on to the airmen below me. That's really uh, not only what is expected of them, but also how can I help them achieve what they want, um, which I also think is the key to retention on a slightly different subject. It absolutely is the key to retention. Um, one of the, the best ways to keep your airmen engaged or to be engaged yourself is to have hope and to have a path. And how do we facilitate that as leaders? And it sounds like you're doing exactly that. You are looking at your airmen and you're bringing them in and you're trying to motivate them and develop develop them. So you are wise beyond your years. And I appreciate that. Uh, Chief, how about you? Mentorship. I, I, we could spend the rest of the podcast as far as I, I'm concerned on this subject. So important. Um, something that the Air Force was not good at even 10 years ago. And we're developing and we're getting better. And I'll, I'll say three things on mentorship. And um, one, a strong mentor, man of strong moral character, uh, active duty, uh, probably saved my career. Um, I was in a section that. Uh, I would say had toxic senior NCO leadership and, uh, you know, uh, probably dealing with some strong PTSD from Vietnam because you know, we still had the, the Vietnam holdouts, you know, when, when I joined. And uh, they probably just needed help. I, um, but uh, as leaders, um, they were missing the mark completely. And uh, this Master Sergeant Steve Moss took me under his wing and probably saved me from that. And you mentioned i wasn't planning on mentioning this until you said retention i would have gotten out and never come back if it wasn't for mass sergeant steve moss and the way he took me in under his wing and he mentored me and created kind of like a safe haven and then allowed me to develop under him um so that's what we hope to achieve in our mentorship and i look at it the other two things that i mentioned i'll look at it like this there's two other phases there's a, a mentorship where you know, at your level, Airman Skadoulis, you know, and Staff Sergeant Courier, at your level where I need, I need kind of like dual mentors for you. I need you to be laser focused on your AFSC. Um, we, you don't realize how much we are depending on you to complete our mission because you're at that, you have entered that tactical level, right? And I need you to be good at it. And I need somebody of good standing with a long sustained record um, of excellence to be watching over you to ensure that you never miss a bump and you you hit all those marks every step of the way in your career. And then by the time you hit E7, um, you got to step back and that's got to, you got to transition very quickly to leadership. 
um, and how important that is. We need to develop leaders, you know, and uh, so it's kind of like a, a dual thing here. Once again, it's AFSC, but I need you to focus on leading people and being a, a man or a woman of high moral fortitude and character, all right, somebody that we can trust um, to do the right thing on and off the field when nobody's looking. So mentorship. I think that one thing, everything you described it, it demonstrates the importance of mentorship, and we hear it all the time, but I think that, that sometimes people begin to think of it as a program and not a, a, a airman's way of life, and then the process becomes the product, and you, you both have nailed it of, of, in my opinion, what the overwhelming philosophy of mentorship is. It is seeking out and developing. It is having that constant OODA loop as you look at your airmen and you help them get to the next step up. And it, it just that, that whole integration of one fight, one force, uh, you know, one, one group of people continuously develop them, developing themselves to the next level. Um, that was great on both your parts. I really appreciate that. Chief, once in, if I could just jump in there, once you said program, it, it's almost like death sets in, in in a way, and it's like it takes the wind and the, um, the drive out of it because uh, mentorship is not a program. It's not something I'm being told to do. Mentorship is a culture, and you even have to be passionate about it. So I really appreciate that perspective. A good airman's a good mentor. That's, that's exactly it. It's as soon as you're like, it's something you have to do. And then it's something I definitely don't want to do if somebody's telling me I have to do it. So organicness is good. Good point. Um, Chief Caulfield, I want to know how you stay motivated to keep going every day. Motivation, you know, it's thank, well, thank you for asking that question. You know, it's, it's, it's funny. It was something that, that I think we had a gut check over the last year and a half with COVID. We entered uh, uh, something that, as a, a nation, that we haven't, at least in our lifetime, never been uh, confronted with before. How, how, how's that? And motivated. How do you stay motivated in these challenging times? And for me, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's easy. Um, but for me, the decision is easy. Um, and check me on this so in 30 years from now find me and then tell me and say hey you were right chief um <laughs> you know but for me I, I would say the key to motivation is being a part of something bigger than yourself and you know, there's been a couple times i've gut checked myself and i looked in the mirror and every time you look in the mirror i, I see the, the the red white and blue on my shoulder and i remember you know, and I start reflecting, you know, the people of this nation that enjoy such a wonderful quality of life and safety and security have actually put their trust in me. And that has motivated me to be the best at what I do, you know, in my AFSC slash the job I do now. And even it transcends into that, even into physical fitness. You have to be fit to fight. We use that term all the time, but I'll just throw that out there. But physical fitness, um, it takes motivation to be physically fit, and especially more so at, at my age, and I'll leave that off the record. Uh, I'm not going to, you know, but, you know, it's motivation. And I think it's, it's uh, the key thing for me is believing what I'm a part of and being a part of something bigger than yourself. 
and that's how I stay motivated. Sure. Um, I was thinking about what you said earlier about part of, you know, my, my job as an airman right now is to focus on, on my AFSC and how that, that really is important. And sometimes it's hard to see how important that is when there's so many other people around me that could just pick up the slack if I wasn't doing it, you know, but, but that, that motivation to, to see that, that I am a part of this bigger bigger part in my piece matters and so that's why I have to be good at what I do yeah. and both of you probably don't you know a certain uh, courier probably don't realize how much Chief Sullivan and myself as an enterprise part of the enterprise rely on you two um, you, you just don't know it um, but we really there's certain things we just have to know are going to get done and get done well and we don't have time to necessarily always look over our shoulder to make sure that it's happening but trust, you know, we're trusting you to get done. That's a good point. Sure. Uh, Sergeant Courier, same question. What keeps you motivated day in, day out? So uh, what immediately comes to mind is honestly just such a great work culture my squadron in particular has, and that's exactly like one of the biggest things as a new staff sergeant I try to keep going for the uh, younger airmen coming in behind me. Uh, getting to go to work every day and enjoy it because of who you're working with is most of the battle. In motivation for me and beyond that when you know I thankfully I'm lucky enough to have be in that position in the squadron but uh, beyond that when that fails I think it falls back you know right to where chief was saying uh, you know it's absolutely about believing in what you do and just having that dedication to keep pushing you know knowing that what you're doing is making a difference absolutely yeah. my mom always says attitude is everything it is. It is. Attitude is everything. Um, the chief of staff of the Air Force put out his action orders, accelerate, change, or lose, and one of those involves bureaucracy. Now, we hear about bureaucracy, and we think about it at the more strategic, highest levels of the government, but how has bureaucracy affected uh, your unit, and what changes are you making within your section and squadron, uh, Staff Sergeant Courier, and in your wing, uh, Chief Cofield, to eliminate some of the bureaucracy so that we can accelerate change and we can win? I like that. So I can definitely say for my squadron, you know, one of the biggest things is not to let things uh, pile up, one on top of the other. You never want to wait until, like, you know, the, the week that these EPRs are due to start on your EPRs. You know, it's, it's all about managing your time and also making sure that the airmen below you are also making, you know, staying on top of theirs because, you know, what's immediately their problem that they didn't fix is going to be your problem eventually, you know. And I, I think it's important for everyone to keep definitely on task with time management. Um, and I, I definitely try to stress that to people um, that I lead every day. Eliminating speed bumps mm -hmm. and allowing a more focus through your squadron and, and empowering the individuals to take care of things at the lower level. Yeah, you, you, you've summed it up. That, that, is, that, that is a good, uh, a good point of view uh, at your level. And it's nice to see that, uh, you know, for people out there listening, you know, that are at the staff sergeant, senior and tech sergeant level, you can do things at your level to eliminate speed bumps, to eliminate, you know, some of the bureaucracy and, and bureaucracy isn't just you know, the, the, the person or the office or the, or whatever that's standing in your way. It is eliminating what is not useful and absorbing what is useful in order to accelerate that change. And 
getting away from that mindset of this is just the way we always did it or just because um, we we need to advance that. So I'm glad to see even at your level, you're already attacking that. That's great. Chief, how about yourself? You know, for me, I, I guess in my perspective uh, from from where I'm sitting, uh, I, I would have to say we need the most flexibility at the wing. Um, we trust wing commanders to execute, and now we're uh, a, a mission, and now we're talking about execute a mission in degraded environments um, with little to no comms. You know, how are we going to do this if we have to uh, run back to mama and ask permission for everything that, that we're doing? Um, so, you know, Chief Sullivan, I, I would say to answer that um, more directly, uh, in the AFIs at, at my level, I need to see T3 in capital and bold, and that, that's the waiver authority um, that uh, to, the, to the wing level. We never feel that, and I don't think it's, it's ever uh, malicious that, that we will slow a process down. We would ever become that speed bump. But if uh, you want to eliminate those speed bumps or make it a less a, where I don't have to put my brakes on so hard, um, we need that flexibility at, at the wing level. Um, so where uh, every wing is, has unique uh, mission sets, um, operation plans, O plans, and challenges. And how we react to the challenges, at, at, you know, for instance, at the 105th is different than the 102nd. And we need that flexibility. Um, we put tremendous, tremendous uh, authority into the hands of a wing commander, but you could quickly tie their hands if you tell them they have to ask permission yes. every step of the way, bureaucracy. Um, yes. So I, w- I would say AFI, um, I need to see T3s. Um, bold. <laughs> T3s and empowerment down the line and having a prevailing attitude of don't tell me what you can't do and why. Show me what you can do and what can we accomplish. Perfect. I like it. Sergeant Carrere, I'll ask you this first, um, but what is something that um, you've struggled with um, and then how do you overcome that? So definitely uh, one thing I used to struggle with is approaching each situation um, objectively, you know, you don't want to treat one situation just the same as another. And that also ties right in with membership. You would never want to treat, you know, one airman like you treat another airman because they're two entirely different people that have both strengths and weaknesses. And you can't create an airman that is the best possible airman they can be by treating them just like everyone else. It has to be, uh, definitely, you know, uh, individualized and I think that that's something I did kind of struggle with when I joined and I was a, uh, you know, junior enlisted um, that, you know, I didn't really quite understand why, you know, everyone couldn't be good at one thing, you know. And it's now I, I definitely have learned to understand that people are much more individualized than their AFSC. That was a, a hard lesson I learned in, in boot camp as the dorm chief. I, I just couldn't understand why certain people struggled with certain things. And then I failed the PT test, and I was like, whoa, I had no idea that I could fail like that. And it was so, so like, eye-opening, like, whoa, really, everybody's different. They're not, they're not dumb for not getting it. They're not a bad person. They just, everyone's different. That's, that's it. Yeah. Um, Chief Caulfield? So what do I struggle with? Um, I'm going to go something that, that, that that's fresh on my heart uh, today, and it deals with, I guess, just the office 
uh, where I'm at as command chief in, in my perspective. But something that, that really, uh, I guess I struggle with a little bit because I'm still trying to figure it out, what it looks like. And, uh, you know, it did spend time and it possibly even take sleep from me from time to time. But, you know, I was at, at a meeting and I'll, I'll share what I, I, I can share uh, in an, what was shared in an open environment where we won't violate OBSEC. Um, but, uh, Hey, General Brown says we need to accelerate change or lose. I cannot stand that. Uh, in the first time in my career, um, the word lose or the possibility, the thought of it, has been introduced to the United States Air Force. If we don't change, if we don't accelerate this, we could lose. And he's trying to, I, I believe when I heard that, he's trying to break apathy and complacency. You know, so I was recently at a, you know, um, you know, a national level type meeting and it was a, a similar theme. And they were talking about, they said, next time you're on base, look at a staff sergeant. So I'm looking at you, Staff Sergeant Courier. Look at a staff sergeant and realize that if you do not figure this out as a chief, if we don't make certain changes on how to eliminate bureaucracy and compete with near peer adversaries, by the time Staff Sergeant Courier is ready to sit in your seat, he could be on the number two Air Force, and that's unacceptable. And, and we could never say, well, two's okay. Um, and we're not used to Chief Sullivan and I aren't used to that type of talk. No. <laughs> um, no. And uh, so it challenges. So what that is telling me, the decisions I make today and the things I put in place today will affect the outcome for you when it's time for you to sit in my seat. So I struggle with that. I'm still trying to figure out where can I remove bureaucracy? Where can we approve? Where can we develop ourselves and change ourselves to meet this sudden adversary that's uh, competing for uh, the best Air Force or the best military in the world? Yeah, that's that's a big one, kind of. I mean, the, the whole Air Force is thinking that right now. Right. And we're not used to we're not used to hearing that that kind of and I'm sure, you know, sir, you you as well. Um, back in the you know, we had complete air dominance. You know, you said you uh retired eight years ago? Yes. Yeah. So you you left in a season where complete unchallenged air dominance. You know, and that may not be the case is what they're telling us in the future if we don't turn our attention to it now. That's kind of strange for me to hear. I, I mean, I've only been here a couple of years, but I feel like just with my generation, everything is, you know, everything's always changing. You're just used to, you know, oh, it's going to change again. So it's, it's not something that, that I'm like, whoa, this is a shocker. I mean, obviously it's like we've, we've got to do something about it, but I don't know. It's just not the same. It's neat to hear that perspective. Thanks. And how do we accelerate change? We do it with our most important commodity and making our most important commodity realize how important they are to fit into the whole fight. And that's the individual airmen. And I think one thing that happens in, in all wings is that some airmen based on their jobs or their AFSCs or whatever, don't exactly feel like they're as big a part of a role as, you know, other people. And, in my opinion, that's just not the case. If we did not need you, you would not be here. 
I always like to use the tip of the spear analogy. Everybody says that the seals or delta force or whoever is the tip of the spear. Hey, you know, that that's fantastic. Um, but what's the tip of the spear without the rest of the implement? Is it an implement of destruction or is it just a little char of metal? It's just a little chunk of metal. It's not going to harm you. So when you think of your airmen, the entire spear, the entire, every aspect of it is important. So my question becomes, outside of, for you, Staff Sergeant Courier, outside of your own people within um, you know, your, your immediate section, other people throughout the wing, what are you doing that helps them feel important that they are engaged in this mission and that we can't do without them, no matter if they're, um, you know, services, logistics, um, our, our, our defenders who are near and dear to my heart or throughout, um, what are some things that you and the people within your section are doing to integrate all the airmen in and let everybody on this base and everybody in the Air Force know that they are important? That's that's definitely something that really strikes, you know, pretty close to me because, you know, I've, I've always believed, you know, there's a reason why we're all paid exactly the same. You know, we all do have just an equally important job as one another. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're in services or you're a security guard. And I think that it's so important that everyone knows that no one's more important than one another. You know, uh, especially especially where rank comes into play because it's all a well-oiled machine from top to bottom. Everyone has their specific position that they play. And I think it's most important that, you know, you make sure that you are, like, in tying it back to mentorship, you have to make sure that you are asserting to your airmen that, you know, what they do matters. And they're not just, you know, another cog in the machine. Rather, you know, they are the machine, you know, more or less. You know, you don't want them to think that they have, like, a less sense of self-worth, you know especially with the connotations that people might go into the military, you know, as enlistee versus officer, for instance. You don't want them to think that just because, you know, they don't have a, a lieutenant bar on their chest that they're any less valuable. Absolutely. Absolutely. Chief, what are your feelings? I, I would agree with, with Sergeant Courier. Um, the valuing, you know, the most precious commodity, which is your airmen, the, the people aspect of it. Um and, you know, how do you do that? You know, you, you validate it. And I can't give everybody an award. I can't give everybody a, a, a coin. Um, it has to be uh, targeted, deliberate times that I do certain things for impact. Um, but one thing I, I could do, probably one of the most valuable thing that I have as a command chief is my time. And uh, I can only do what a command chief can do. And that means, like, sometimes I, I remember I was walking down a, a hallway in one of our organizations, you know, at, at the air wing. And uh, there was a bunch of guardsmen in there eating lunch together, breaking bread at a conference table. It was lunchtime, and I, I was walking by. And uh, and I just gave them a flip, you know, hey, how you doing? You know, and kept on walking. And they're like, chief, chief. I said, you know what? That's all guardsmen in there. How often do I get to network uh, with our guardsmen? You know, drill weekends such a, like a fire hose sometimes, and we move at such an accelerated pace. And I turned around, and I came back, and I, I walked into the room, and I sat down with them. I said, you know what? I, I kind of checked myself. I said, I'm here for you, and I don't 
often get to see you in this environment. And, you know, drill weekend, you're usually standing in a formation or training and drilling. And, you know, uh, I don't want this moment to come by, you know, and, and miss this moment. So I just wanted to say thank you. I said, I don't even know why you guys are here today. Um, in what you're trying to accomplish and, you know, what your your uh, focus is. But I just wanted to say thank you and, and sit down for, for a, a minute with you and just enjoy this moment. And um, uh, a senior NCO came up to me afterwards. It was about two or three days later, and uh, he thanked me for that. He's now a first sergeant. He said, Chief, I, I can't tell you how much that meant that you turned around and came back you know, in the room, he goes, it just made us felt valued um, in this organization to get that from you, not because of who I am, but what I represent, right. you know, and I said, so I hope that answered your question. It did. And it, it is that thank you, that gratitude for everybody, you know, that, that, that's the important thing. Um, I mean, it dawned on me the other day when I was getting a cup of coffee and I was in uniform and somebody walked up and said, thank you for your service. And, and, I don't know why I said it, but I said, I haven't earned your thank you, but you know who has the men and women I serve with in my wing, so I'll accept it for them. And I'm walking away thinking, geez, that was the corniest thing in the world I just said, but I meant it I meant it when I said it. It just came out. And you know, it, it's like, what can we do at all levels to convey that all the way down? I mean, this podcast, I, I would not be here. It would be nothing if it was not for my co-host. It, it is, this is 100% her. I just talk a lot. I'm a talking head. It is 100% her. It would not be here without her. Um, and it would not be here without Tim Sandlin, our, our civilian PA. Um, it, it's one team, everybody important. So thank you to them. And when we get to our ranks, we kind of become the, the, the focal points, but it's not. It, it's Staff Sergeant Courier. It's the airmen. It's, they're the thank you. So, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Uh, you, you, you hit it heartfelt with me. I, I really like the, the transparency that, that both of you have shown in your answers. Um, and it's something that I, I really enjoy from leadership when they, when they take the opportunity to be transparent that way, just being transparent enough to stop and say to the airman, not like, this is my scheduled time to come and see you, but say, hey, I was going to keep walking, but you know what? I don't get a chance to talk to you very much. That's nice. Or the transparency to say, hey, it's not me. It's, it's everybody. So that's cool and appreciated. <laughs> I think Staff Sergeant Courier feels the same way. Absolutely. Uh, something from an, an airman level. Um, okay. As a new airman, you're, you're learning, learning your job. You know, you're, you have a lot of uh, trial and error. You make a lot of mistakes, um, and you just kind of can't help it. it it's, an, it's a new environment, and it's, it is what happens. Is that something that you guys have all experienced as well, and how do you, how do you keep on going from that? You looking at me? Anybody? <laughs> well, I'm okay, sorry. Go, go ahead. Okay. No, please. Uh, so definitely, I I would say that definitely ties in. You know, especially with the last episode of the podcast. You know, that resiliency. You know, absolutely, I believe, and it was harped on last time. You know, that adversity really shapes you into a better human being. It does. You know, it it can only strengthen you. And honestly, I I absolutely live by that. You know, and I you know all of us experience resiliency all the time. You know, it's it's never like not all the time is it, you know, something terrible in your life happens and your whole life turns around. It's more often than not, it's the small things just happen to start piling up and piling up and piling up, you know, and we all need that, you know, that uh, social, uh, that, that social backbone to, you know, keep us standing. Definitely. Thank you. 
So mistakes. I'm going to continue to be transparent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because I, I think there, there's value sometimes in being confident that we aren't flawless and your leaders aren't, don't have all the answers all, all the time. And I'm sure, Tim, you, you could agree with, with that. So mistakes, difficult times. Uh, I remember uh, I, I have lived like a uh on paper a flawless like a uh, career as as a loadmaster i was evaluator twice you know on two different airframes and it's difficult to achieve that and uh, i remember after we transitioned in, into the c-17 i was out there and it was kind of new it was one of my first times flying alone and uh there was a uh, uh we had to return uh, we, we took off. It was a local, um, and it, it was a low-level, like, threat. It was just something we just, hey, let's figure this out before we get too far away from base and make sure we're okay. And, and we were. And uh, But the reason why we had to return, potentially, um, that I may have overlooked something on a checklist. And uh, so I remember when... The uh, maintenance came on the airplane, check it out, and gave me the thumbs up. Hey, you're you're good to go. And so we could engines were running. We could have taken right back off and uh, just um, and pressed on with with the mission of the day. And um, so very difficult time. Um, I had a chance to get away with something, you know, and it was just a, a minor oversight. But I had a, I had a chance to get away with get away with it. And uh, I chose, while the engine was running, to call the aircraft commander down and explain to him if, if they're correct of what they uh, think may have happened, um, then I'm at fault. And uh, that means I missed that step. And I, it's inconceivable to me that I would miss a step on the checklist. But nevertheless, if that's what they're saying has happened, then I need to own that. And uh, I told the aircraft commander, I said, you need to call it in to the director of operations and see if he's okay with us taking back off because I'm not until we get that approval. And uh, next thing you know, I'm, I'm standing downstairs and the engines are shutting down. So I knew his, uh, uh, his decision has been made. And that meant for me to what we call in, in operations uh, uh, my first Q, Q3 um, where I'm decertified and I need to be retrained. Um, difficult, difficult time, but I remember sleeping well that night because I had a chance to kind of sweep it under the carpet, and I was tested when nobody was looking, and uh, I decided to, you know, do the right thing and open it up for evaluation, even though the outcome potentially was embarrassing and uh, humiliating a little bit, but it was still the right thing. I think I'm a, a, a better airman for it. I, I love that story because it ties in two things. Your integrity led to a adversity in your life, mm. and you knew that was going to be the case. It reminds me of, uh, of an old movie I watched one time, The Kingdom of Heaven. Um, it was uh, Jerusalem Wars and Crusades and all that other stuff, but that's not important. The important part was there was some oath that these knights had to take, and one of the things was to tell the truth always, even if it leads to your own death. And I remember <laughs> that line kind of struck me like, yeah, who's ever going to do that? Right. And now we have a situation where you, uh, you know, you created ad, uh, adversity in your life because integrity came mm. first. I love that. That that that's a great lesson. Um, as we wrap up, I just had one more question for both of you, and uh, that's 
What are your final thoughts and wisdom and what else would you like to share with the listeners before we conclude? Sorry, Courier. So I would definitely say that first and foremost, you have to take care of the lowest airmen first. And because they truly are the future, you know, even at my rank, you know, I'm just a new staff sergeant and, you know, the people behind me are not that far, but you have to keep that ball rolling. You can't slow down on remembering the fact that uh, the newest people entering the military now are going to be the leaders 20, 25 years down the line, you know, and you, and you have to start mentoring the day they arrive. Absolutely. So for me, chief, I thought about if you allowed me to close it out and if you asked a question similar to what you just asked, uh, you know, I thought about it last night and I actually got a little emotional um, about this one. And uh, so I'll leave you with this. Hopefully in two to three minutes I could get through it. Um, I have 6,500 flight hours. Um, I've landed on every continent in the world um, pretty much. Uh, wow. And I've been to more uh countries than I even remember you know sometimes like hey you've been there I was like yeah you're right I was <laughs> and uh, you know so I know what's out there I know the struggles of the world um, I've experienced it and I lived it and every time at the conclusion of a mission where we land back in the United States and we get off that that jet and my feet hit the ground in the United States of America figuratively figuratively um, I kiss the ground that, that, that we walk in and uh it's such a blessing, this nation, and what has been given to us, um, this thing that we call freedom. Um, you know, it's something we've come to know, enjoy, and, and love, and live in it, but it's still not a well-embraced concept, believe it or not, in most of the world. And uh, I found that uh, freedom is uh, something that our Constitution it's living, the Declaration of Independence. I love that document. Um, it's living, it's, it's breathing, but it's tender and it's fragile. And it's something um, that uh, needs tending to and it needs resolve to protect it and, and to keep it. Um, this is a great nation. I've been blessed to serve since 1983 and to wear the red, white, and blue on my, soul, on my shoulders. And, uh, you know, and just looking across the table, you Sergeant Courier and then Airman Skadoulis, um, it gives me, um, I guess, peace in my heart that I feel like I'm passing the torch to a generation of people that share these values of they appreciate the greatness of this nation and what we have uh, done um, in this world. So I just want to end it like that. Um, it's, it's been a great podcast. Thank you. And, uh, God bless America. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you both for being on this podcast. Uh, Staff Sergeant Courier, Chief Caulfield. Um, we're glad you are here. If you stumbled upon this episode, um, please check out all the rest. I would also like to say if there's anybody out here listening that would be interested and have a perspective for the Chevron's podcast, please contact me. Um, and um, easily to find, easy to find in the global, uh, Sean.Sullivan17, because it's such an uncommon name. Um, but we'd like to have you on, and thank you for listening. And uh, we'll talk to you next episode.